There's people in Kalamazoo, Michigan who want to hear my fucking poetry. Something's going on, something going on. Anyway, thank you for letting me come up here. <laughs> anyway. The bus stop by the laundromat. A dream of beauty, an old blues song about an innocent man in Joliet prison, the back road that leads out of town. That time I kicked the bells down the altar steps during the funeral mass. Jesus Christ, I don't know who I am. Can you tell me the word written on the underside of my eyelids? I can't see it. Please, you be the judge. I'll be the witness. That's how they do it in France, isn't it? Trust me, I can't be trusted. A dream of beauty, a rosary, a baseball glove, a motorcycle boot, a blue and white Cadillac with cold chrome tits, the mask of Zorro, the Puccini aria, and how it makes dying seem so beautiful. If the problem isn't you, there's no solution. If the world isn't real, then why am I bleeding? The bus stop by the laundromat, the laundromat, the dirty dog, wino I used to talk baseball with. They're all gone now, and my time is coming soon. A dream of beauty, the off-white curtain stained yellow with cigarette smoke, the magic smile of some goddamn woman. I can't forget it's true, it's true. Those railroad men really do drink up your blood like wine. A small but overwhelming wish like a nickel on the sidewalk that you're afraid to need. If you really want some trouble, just ask yourself what it is you really want. A dream of beauty. A closet full of boxes, boxes full of pictures, pictures full of people, people full of poses, poses full of that most heartbreaking human desire, the desire to look natural. A dream of beauty standing in line waiting to get into the line to get you into the waiting room. If this civil war ever ends, I swear I'll never be untrue to you again. Hypnotized and demoralized by science and industry, the Catholic boy falls down in the middle of the century. He's blind. He's not a believer. He's an escapee from the burn unit. He's getting just what he prayed for, a chance to suffer and sing about it. A dream of beauty. The murmur of the river at night, the stars, the barking of solitary dogs in the distance, the occasional bursts of small arms fire, the inability to reach a, a conclusion or even to discover a satisfactory formulation of the nature of the problem. The same man riding his red bicycle past a library at the same time every day, the universe with its dust, the special pleading, the prayer wheel junkies, the collaboration required. The shootouts, the shouts of leave me alone, the crying of sleepwalkers, the stacks of books, the stacks of books, the stacks of books, the climbing, the kneeling, the divining, the diary entries, the intransigent anguish, the invisible passing of time. A dream of beauty, the silver stars, the streets that are like soldiers holding their hands up to surrender, the trees in the park, the past with its armies and its iron wills, its stairways with their crumbling steps, the music revolutions on the radio, the golden hits, the one-shot wonders, the drive-by shootings, the murmur of the river at night, the universe and its dust, the dancing, the masters of the telecaster, the curse you can't shake, the forgiveness you need, and now and then give the wind in the trees, the wind on your skin, the coming, the coming, the coming again, the breathing, the bitter sweetness of every breath, the breath, the breathing, the breaking of the waves. Yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. What? Who's talking back to me? Don't make me kick your butt. I can. Dude, you're weird. 
All right, this is a this is my favorite buddy poem. Uh, just pretend, please, if you would. On this side, there's a monkey making bass in a jug with its tongue. Okay, thank you. Over here, there's a pitch black woman dressed in a slow tornado who looks so much like the nighttime she turns almost blue in the sun. She's going to carry us through this tune with Huntsville, Texas and the Soul Lifters Gospel Choir. That, that's my backup diva. <laughs> All right, pretend back here if you would. It's just one big bang. Now it's you. Pretend you're just being yourselves. Pretend you live for a living. Pretend inside your skin you got a friend who's willing to give you everything you ever wanted in exchange for all you've ever been. Pretend you're more obsessed with this moment, y'all, and a little bit less with the way it ends. And for a moment, pretend this is a plywood lemonade stand with a sign on the front that reads, I got no more lemons, just my opinions, yours for a dime a dozen today. And they're always going to be on the table, but only some going to set you free. Okay, now here's what I'm going to need you to believe. Please. Believe that here stands a man who pretends not to fall apart, who gets so nervous that his lips peel back when we give any slack to the dark, who gets so God solid scared you're going to want to talk about tomorrow again, that he'll pretend to stand and listen with a sharp look on his face while a monkey plays bass, bass with a backup diva pulling back up faith for this one man cross universe relay race to try and be more than human, beginning and ending moment by moment rolled over rebirthing again because history is repeating itself in record time, y'all know we got to stop acting like nothing's happening when we got six billion dawning truths setting six billion different suns on you but we six billion gods are all still up in arms over what it will cost to follow through so that you can be me forever, my friend, at the same time I get to be you. So you can rock me, brother, rock, and you can soothe me, sister, soothe, like one big bang, because I don't believe the big bang really happened yet. I think the small bang might have went <laughs> But the big bang is just on its mark. It's getting set and is really ready to go. Kind of like a slow tornado growing larger than six billion words moving faster than a sky that flies farther away from every square inch of us racing birds. It looks a lot like it would if just one brain in the heart of this place rose up to the actual size of the actual voice it actually contained into just one head singing just one song with a word and six billion looks on its face to see a monkey play bass, to feel a backup diva with a backup faith going off like one big I wanted to be so many things bigger than I was a tall tower of building blocks a shoelace tied so fast, jelly spread smoothly to the corners of the bread. I wanted to be so good, a smile on everybody's face, folded hands, a clean desk, all the numbers added up digit under digit, perfectly clear. I wanted to stand between the bully and the frail kid, ready to take it, ready to give it back. I wanted to do the right things, pull the spit back into my mouth, 
scrape the gum-chewed secrets off the bottoms of the chairs, pull the dumb go-along laughs out of the air. I wanted to stand on an asteroid, whirling a mighty chain above my head, flinging an outer space hook probe into the heart of the universe. And by loving whatever I wanted to love, wherever I wanted to love, how I wanted to love, I wanted to grapple the ultimate connection. So what happened? What happened during that great revolution after we pinned our daddies to the floor, after we made our mothers eat shame, after we rolled all antiquity and tradition into cigar-sized joints, sucking in whole rooms of humanity, hoping to assimilate all the differences and heat the world with our spontaneous combustion. What happened when the chain on the asteroid slipped out of our hands? When the ones we loved loved others? When our laugh became the dumb laugh? When the spit shot quick and hard from our teeth? When we gave the kids the beating? What happened to our dreams? What happened to me? I wanted to read all the books of unerring truth. I wanted to tie my shoelace fast, spread jelly smoothly to the corners of bread, build a tower, a tall tower, spell everybody's name, top to bottom, bottom to top, all four sides in and out. I wanted so bad. So bad to be so many things without the whole thing falling in. In 1970, I learned my alphabet for the very first time, knew it by heart by 1971. A is for Africa, B is for black, C is for culture, and that's where it's at. My mother taught me that from the way you see Alphabeti at a time when A was for apples in a country that grew mangoes and X was for xylophone when I was learning how to play the steel pan. Black wasn't popular or even accepted then, but I wore dashiki sent me from Nigeria. Superfly suit sky blue, the elbow patches sent me from America and sandals made by original Rastafari before weed and revolution needed fertilizer to grow. My mother rocked bright saffron saris. We was fat 20 years too early and a thousand miles removed. My mother preached knowledge, hard work, and how not to take shit. D is for defense. E is for economics. I wrote my first protest letter at the age of three to my grandfather for calling me in out the front yard. <laughs> Spelling fuck you with an F-O-R-K-U. Put it under his pillow in the hope it would blow up and burn his ear off at night. Wanted to get started on this revolution thing. F is for freedom, G is for guns, we gotta get some, we use, he said. Evolved into 1979 and a revolution with a changing face. Bang, bang, a boogie to the boogie, say up, jump the boogie, let's rock. You don't stop. Black folks and brand names became entwined. We reinvented dance and made wheels roll with a limp. 
Cuba had just told America he was Africa in Angola. K is for kings, L is for our land. We've got to get it back. So we lost Jamaica to the IMF, Grenada to the Marines, and Panama to Nancy Reagan. Jerry curls became high top fades, became Gumbies, became Caesars as Michael Jackson moonwalked his way into a lighter shade of pale. <laughs> My mother sent me to America. She said, go fix that. <laughs> Case for kidnap. S is for slavery, where you see explained. Cool became butter, became fat. We lost our focus and our way just at about the time that black folk outside the nation discovered the dangers of pork. So fatbacks became fat blacks, pigtails became dreadlocks and fades, faded to bald as Michael Jordan discovered the magic of a fadeaway jumper and endorsements. X is for the nigger who's blind, deaf, and dumb. X him out, we use, he said. My mother told me I should rewrite that, that X is for the nigger who needs to be re-educated, that a corporate job does not spell freedom, marry white is not racist flight, a democratic vote is not a revolutionary act, and as long as there's a sweatshop in Jakarta, there's no difference between Patrick Ewing and O.J. Simpson. H is for Huey, N is for Nat Turner, T is for Tubman, M is for Marcus, Marley, Mandela, and Martin got shot two weeks after he told black folk to boycott Coca-Cola. My mother taught me to respect men who stood by their responsibilities and their convictions, men willing enough to join the fight but smart enough to survive it and see the signals. God gave no other rainbow sign, said no more water. The fire next time. J is for James Baldwin, the next time is now. And someone must learn to read the signs with me. A is for Africa, B is for black, C is for culture. And that's where I'm at. Full of twinkle lights trying to be stars and stab at the ceiling of the theater, blue as a Van Gogh night. And a rose-tinted spotlight flashes on fingerprint a guitar like sudden understanding as a man stands solo with twelve steel strings. Pouring into the darkness the music of turning wheels and my mind is turning and tomorrow morning the man at my side, brought here in celebration, is turning toward Nebraska where he planted the seed that is now his son. To start the legal wheels turning to prove to the strangers with the strings that he is fit to be a daddy. The only thing I've ever planted in Nebraska is the grandmother of the husband I used to have. In a tattered scrap of cemetery reached by country roads turning past farmers clutching battered hats over genteel hearts. Where I leaned with dry wind whistling through my skull next to the leathered, fresh widower who gave my ex the Lakota eyes that would have been left to our child and who, I have heard, still asks after me. Faded gingham aprons bearing jello salads, and 
the baby I rock so close through the eulogy, who belonged to some sort of cousin I'd just met, and tugged fiercely at something deep inside this confused young wife. We turned our wheels back toward home, to a life that never matched what we said we wanted, like misfit wedding presents you can't return, and stopped along the dark Nebraska two-lane to stare at the stars he'd grown up gazing at and longed to share, but the sheer weight of billions crushed me against the side of the car, and I sobbed onto the steering wheel that it was all too big. the man on stage is playing a song that was a gift for a marriage that cracked and blew away like old brittle paper. But it is still a pretty love song with a harmony of hope. And the man at my side, who will be states away tomorrow, but tonight has his arm snug tight around my shoulder, is singing along quietly. And I just have to smile and turn to him and say, happy birthday. Very tiny, so old, so old she was ageless. That was my grandma Melinda Blunt, and she was truly my first raising raisin in the sun. The sun that shone down there on her front porch in Cresswell, North Carolina. She would sit for hours on her throne. Sometimes lost in thought. Sometimes dipping snuff. Sometimes overseeing the scores of grandchildren that came to visit, I was but one of that barefoot, carefree crew. I can still feel and hear her regal authority as she spoke the dreaded command. Child, go get me a switch. You ain't gonna act that way. <laughs> and Lord knows she meant it too. I remember a black woman who had a hard time of it. I mean, she worked, okay? What with 10 children and a husband to raise. And times, times, being like they were, sharecropping that long lie about 40 acres and a mule, and oh yeah, a woman's place. Come to think of it, times haven't changed all that much. My grandmama had to have this life philosophy. She would say, child, just do it. Just do it long before Nike. <laughs> just do it, or at least get up off your behind and try, try. And that's what she passed on to her children, try. And thus she imparted it to me, try. It's time for you children to kick Open the door with a great big shoe. Throw back your shoulders, lift your chin, and pimp the fuck on through. Try, 
always try. We are alike. My grandma, Melinda, and you and I, we've all sat there. Breathing, listening like a baby, like one tiny speck in a universe full of stars and planets and comets. Try. You know it. Try. The place you come from. Try. The place you're going to learn to love yourself. And when I get to heaven, I'll be looking for. Thank you. I read an article about a former Detroit high school football star who had stabbed his grandfather to death. When questioned by authorities, by the police, he told them his grandfather had been molesting him. But after sitting in shackles for over six hours at homicide headquarters, he changed his story, saying he dreamt it all, but it felt real. A judge found him not guilty by reason of insanity. Today, this young man resides in the same mental institution that houses his father. You weren't in my head when I woke up today. You weren't there, so you don't know. We can run from what we're given. We can run. We can run. Look at me. They call me psycho. My old man ran from his mind. He never saw me on this field. They named me after him. Him screaming in the scarlet prison of his skull. Him handing me this ball before I was born. Him loose cannon. Him gun wild loco. Him. He never saw me on this field. Running back. Rising star. My father's father has seen me, but not on this field. No, that was a dream. No, that was real. No, that was bang. The ball is snapped, bang, the armies climb, bang, we are clawing, pushing, shoving, rubbing raw earth. Young boys are peeled backward at awkward angles, bang, the rapid fire camera flash, bang, the gun rattle crowd roar. The quarterback is being torn, loose meat from firm bone, skin from limb, from limb, from limb. His eyes are trying to find me, his hands are reaching for me. No, that was a dream, no, that was real, no, that was bang, the ball is shoved against my stomach, white hot ribbons tear upward inside my chest. I don't let go, my old man, he never saw me on this field, hit from a hundred sides at once and feeling no pain, the way I heave and implode, the way my teeth become 32 tiny and white detonators and I bite down hard like there ain't no other way out, like this ball, it's all I got and I'm holding on for dear life, I have secrets and no one to share them with, do you ever feel guilty at night? When it's quiet, when I can't sleep, I pull these covers a little higher. There are bruises on my hip bone. My eyes are two black tunnels caving in. My head holds the thunder of a hundred bloodthirsty hammers banging their way out, banging their way out. They call me killer. They call me psycho. They never saw me on this field, never saw me sleeping by the black-handled butcher's blade. Couldn't understand why I stood above that bastard's body, leaking cruelty all across this kitchen linoleum. Grandfather reaching for me again. His hands were at my, no, that was a dream. No, that was real. No, that was just me running in a field where I was never seen. Crowd gurgling my name as I hit the hole and go, as I heave and implode, as I bring this blade up to my throat. This running, rising, streaking star. This serpent spitting out its unseen tail. This crying, shrieking, wailing wound that all of you thought could feel no pain. Splitting every nerve I got just to forget that this is real. the puppy who would be Pope. <laughs> Friends and fellow clergymen, 
priests and beasts, yeast counselors and focuso guildsmen. I have come before you tonight to glibly disseminate the eternal table salt of knowledge, by which I mean archbishops and deacons, beacons and beakers and Bunsen burners and other people in pointy hats. It is time for us to set aside our petty tribal differences, order them in a neat little pile alongside our pith helmets and delicate lace panties, and come together in the ancestral hot tub that lies between good and otherwise. Let us lie in the ancestral hot tub. Let us lie and languish, languish and reflect as we puff on large cigars stuffed with emollient and royal jelly. Let us reflect upon each other like funhouse mirrors draped in red velvet. It's fun, isn't it? <laughs> but even as we revel in this moment of revelation, let us also twist our antennae towards the darkened utility closet of the future. Who can say what unkempt mutiny the future holds in its toxic bellows, waiting to flump, 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 clump under the three-legged stage of destiny like a wise old bespectacled turtle man hiding untold mischief neath his shell? Certainly I cannot say such a thing for I am but a puppy. <laughs> but there are some things I can say. I know that you can't spell Pope without PP, and you can't spell puppy without PPP. I know as well that though my paws are padded and my ears oh so floppy, my bark echoes with the catacombs of reason like a blazoning klaxon, and my very claws rip through deceit like flower beds to shred even the most profane document in the blink of a consecrated eyelash. Do you understand, my brethren? Do you whiff the tenor of my snuff box? Who among you wants another pious or an innocent when before you stands the very epiphany of fragrant dogmatics? Yea, for mine is the puppy dog kingdom forever and ever and ever. Follow me, my people, and I shall blend your catalogs into an assortment of pictographic handlebars. Take hold of my boundless leash and lead me to defile the gardens of thine enemies. And in turn, I shall lead thee not into Penn Station, no, never that, but rather into the wide open meadowland of applesauce promised by our holy chrysanthemum. Yes, follow where I lead and lead where I follow and together shall we enter a bold new barbecue pit filled with fire hydrants and with chew toys and short ribs for all. And was the puppy as good as his word? Did he really lead the church into a bold new barbecue pit? And what of the meadowland of applesauce of which he so often and so fondly spoke? Could there really be such a place? Well, my friends, these are all good questions but I'm afraid that you must each look within and seek out the answers for yourselves. Well, this is a love poem. <clears throat> this is called The Lost Courtney Love Love Poem. Suffering and death, suffering and death, suffering and death. They hand you a bag full of broken glass and they say, this is your life, put it back together, motherfucker. <laughs> suffering and death, suffering and death, suffering and death. Oh no, everyone's a robot. Oh no, these vegetables have a hidden agenda. Oh no, once you hit that lucky strike, even once you're never the same again. Suffering and death, suffering and death, suffering and death. Lying in the sunlight, the blind yellow dog sniffs. Twitches, lifts his head. He knows I'm around here somewhere. His body, like mine, remembers everything. His body, like mine, attracts flies. Suffering and death, suffering and death, suffering and death. The first time I tasted a woman's cum, I thought I'd discovered the source of the Nile. 
My tongue realized it had a secret identity. My bones finally understood that they were, in fact, connected to each other, and my blood started singing, Gloria, G-L-O-R-I-A, Gloria. And then I started thinking, huh, I wonder what else they lied to me about. <laughs> suffering and death, suffering and death, suffering and death. At the bus stop, it's Tuesday. And trust me, ain't no one around here praying for transcendence. At the bus stop, the needs are more basic, more naked. A ride, a drink, a couple bucks, a look, a touch. Don't fucking do that. Hey, what time is it? Hey, please, please, listen to my stories. Please, listen to my lies. Suffering and death, suffering and death, suffering and death. The little girl next door has drawn a blue chalk giant on the sidewalk. It's got purple devil horns. It's wearing a green cape, and it's holding a wild red guitar that really does look like an axe. Who's that, I ask? I'm not sure. Mommy says it looks like dad, but I don't care what she says. I like him anyway. Suffering and death, suffering and death, suffering and death. That line about everyone's a robot, I was wrong. Everyone's free to do whatever they choose. Oh, no. I've never had my nuts caressed by Courtney Love, and it looks like now it's not going to happen at once. Dick and I were wandering around in New York City, and somehow we wound up at the spot where John Lennon was shot and killed. John was gone but the city rolled on. Suffering and death, suffering and death, suffering and death. My neighborhood isn't safe, it's full of cops. My neighborhood isn't safe, it's full of culture. My neighborhood isn't safe, it's full of poets. My neighborhood isn't safe, it's full of neighbors. It's full of flesh and blood and bone and rubber and metal and plastic and garbage and gardens and fences and alleys and curses and perfect nonsense and picture windows and shattered glass everywhere, shattered glass everywhere. Go ahead, pick it up, fit it together, make something whole and perfect from it if you must. But I say it's better to let it lie there. I say see if you can love it that way. See if you can love what is broken and beyond repair. Hi, this is a new piece. It's called Your Father's Belt. So, I remember the first time my mom lost her head. I don't remember what it was that triggered it, really. Maybe I didn't rinse the dishes before I put them in the dishwasher, or maybe I poured milk on that cat. It was right around the time I was expanding my vocabulary, experimenting with those sharper, less rounded words. Maybe I told her I had to take a shit, or maybe she caught me taking a piss in the dining room, or maybe I raised my nose and lowered my voice, mumbling that word, bitch, under my breath as I left the room. Maybe I didn't even answer her, just ignored her. Maybe the lack of my presence is what set her off. I was seven or eight years old. My mom was four foot 11 inches high. She was a mostly soft-spoken woman, busy with the responsibility of us four boys, me and my two older brothers, my father and me, the youngest. I remember that day she decided to beat me, but I couldn't say what it was I'd done. That's it, Jeffrey. She was using my full name. You're coming with me, young man. She pulled me by my wrist into my room, onto the bed. I was resisting, squirming and pushing inside her arms. She was trying to hold me down while simultaneously reaching with her free hand for absolutely anything she could. You wait right here. Don't even think about moving. I'm moving. I'm going to get your father's belt, Jeffrey. I remember I didn't move. I just stuck there, frozen like another stain on a sheet. She stomped down the hall to my father's dresser, grinding her teeth and cursing, still using my entire name. I won't take this, Jeffrey Paul St. John, son of a bitch. I'll show you better. Listen to me. I don't remember how long she was gone. It could have been hours. 
but I wasn't moving. I don't remember when she did return, more frazzled than before. She held me down despite all that momentum. She told me it was going to hurt. I remember as she began swinging down upon my buttocks, but I don't remember how many times it took for me to realize that all her swinging didn't actually hurt, really. I remember I told her, that's not a belt. Your father doesn't wear belts. This is all I could find. She was striking me with a blue and gold striped necktie. She may have had even more than one. I remember how she finally gave in, the way she left the room a little shorter than she'd arrived, the way I was laughing at her, the tenderness of her threat, laughing at the inability she had to hurt me. And I remember laughing at her and the love she had for me. And my oldest daughter asked me to do this poem. And I'm not really sure why, but I'm going to put it on. It's called Busy Love. The ring formed a deep orange red at the bottom of the test tube. I accepted. This was how it was supposed to be. The stuff of fairy tales. The doctor verified and made the happily ever after pronouncement. We all celebrated. What a party. But afterward, there was much for me to do. I began eating green leafy vegetables twice a day, swallowing the vitamin tablets the doctor prescribed. I drank only milk and juice and water. I stretched my muscles, strengthening my body, making room for you. I practiced my breathing so our delivery would go well. And soon, I felt the slightest flicker of movement, a butterfly softly touching the walls of my uterus, and I knew it was you responding to my hard work, to my busy love. So I kept up the routine, eating green vegetables twice a day, swallowing vitamin tablets to doctors prescribed, drinking only milk and juice and water, stretching and strengthening my body, practicing my breathing for your birth. You continued to move, to respond to me. I swelled with pride and wore the costumes of our condition well. I planned and prayed and called you by name. I told you of my dreams for our life together. I urged you to grow strong and well and quickly. I waited for your kicks and felt that you understood why I was eating those vegetables, swallowing those vitamins, drinking only milk and juice and water, stretching and strengthening my body, practicing my breathing. But then, I noticed a change. I waited a long time for your kick, and when it finally came, it seemed weak. Not like before. Wasn't I doing everything I was supposed to do? Eating vegetables, swallowing vitamins, drinking fluids, stretching and strengthening, practicing breathing? No one seemed to notice the change, but when I read you, the children's story that I read to you every night, you didn't respond. The research said that you should like to hear the same words, the same story rhythms and sounds. You should respond. Why don't you respond? I eat more vegetables. I drink more fluids. I take more vitamins. I stretch more. I breathe more. The wait time is terrible. I lay flat on my back. Dr. Penelope Leach's book in one hand in your round fullness under the other, waiting for you to kick, waiting for you to move, waiting for you to respond. Eat more, swallow more, drink more, stretch more, breathe more. I am scared. I don't feel you move. I want to believe that you will come. I want to believe that everything I did for you will make a difference. Eat, swallow, drink, stretch, breathe. But it didn't. I pushed you out, and you were blue. A knot tied in your umbilical cord took away your food, your life, everything I did for you. You were bluish gray, 
and you are perfect, but you don't eat, swallow, drink, stretch, breathe. My typewriter shadow box is in the corner. Pistons thrown out, keys so dull that every word is coming out. Fight, fight, and goodbye, goodbye. Then one sentence comes clear. It says, the name of this poem is Joe Lewis. It's an epidemic, our hearts laid out like a body in a boxing ring, spilling our lives, saying to us that we, we women, we men, lit by porcelain, by pavement, by a new sadness, oxygen, we are stuck burning with an opportunity. You see, lampposts and hyenas, they can't say the things that we can. Pearls and rainstorms cannot sing this song. Our hearts have laid down like broken dish rags in the dust. Get up, the crowd hollers up. Then right before the 10 count, our heart rises, stumbles vaudeville black and blue in the crowd. It goes wild. Our heart smiles out, swollen eyes, swinging and swinging at the ropes, beating up the air. And to me, it's Joe Lewis saying that everything's going to be all right, that we've just forgotten how to be children, that we can still shine. But the words keep coming out, fight, fight, and goodbye, fight, goodbye. My typewriter hooks and bobs, weaves and dances, throwing left, left, right jabs. It says it's going to be all right, champ. It's going to be all right, but the heart is on the ropes again. Our lives, our lives laid out like a body in the center of a boxing ring, laid out like the night Joe Lewis went down and the crowd roared, but in their bathrooms that night they wept. In the sink, in the bathtub, and that moth on the wall, they all thought, yeah, this is an epidemic. Can you hear all of us? Because you've got to listen. We're at our jobs, sitting in our cars, standing at supermarkets, watching TV, howling to be something for something, to be somebody to us. It's amazing. We never open our mouths, and you can hear it for blocks. When I hear it, I mistake it for the sirens of an ambulance, but that's what we are. We are an ambulance. We are porcelain. We are pavement. We are throats. We are howling for all of us. We are the hood ornaments of an epidemic that is laid out like the night our heart finally took a dive, and we carried it back home, and it bled all over us, but we couldn't tell because it was on the inside. And that night we wept and we didn't know what to do with it, so we tucked it behind our ribs where it sits, punch drunk, throwing half-hearted jabs in a rhythm like a beat, like one long ten-count winding down. Lampposts and hyenas, they cannot say the things that we can. Pearls and rainstorms can't sing this song. Sometimes when they slip your boxing gloves off and they cut your body open, they find sloppy children's handwriting scribbled on the walls of your rib cage that read, fight, fight. This is a true story. 
the entire crew has vanished. And for all I know, they are probably dead. Me and Cameron are the only survivors, and I'm not sure how much longer we can hold on. Lost at sea in a sinking ship, miles from anything resembling anything other than water. A 45-foot wave crashes over the starboard rail, threatening to break this boat in two. I spit out salt water and choke on the wind. My skin is raw from weeks on this ocean. I might never make it home. Another wave hits the boat, and then come the sharks. We are surrounded. Cameron takes out one with the harpoon gun and another with the sword. I toss grenades blindly into the blue and watch the meat explode into the sky. But as I turn around, one of the bastards finally gets to me. It is tearing off my arm. I think things can't possibly get any worse. But Cameron finds a way to hit me with even more bad news. I can't find my driver's license, he yells. What? I can't find my driver's license and I can't find my keys. Well, where are they? I think they're in the truck. Well, why don't you go get them? Cameron runs across the water to the truck. It is a 99 Dodge Dakota, and a woman with red hair hands him his license and his keys. He is screaming, we got to get this stuff to the bank. Well, what about the sharks? No, we got to get this stuff to the bank. We will outrun them. Now, there's something you should know. Cameron is three years old. He lives in East Detroit, my girlfriend's son, and we are on a boat being chased by sharks on our way to the bank because he says that we are on a boat being chased by sharks on our way to the bank. So that's the way it is. And I understand this because I remember when I was his age, imagination was not a concept, but a way of life. If I wanted to see the ocean, then I saw the ocean. Not my backyard, not the scent of lawn clippings or my mother calling me in for dinner. I could smell the salt water, hear the cries of seagulls, feel the rush of waves racing past me every single day. I built castles on the sun, won the Grand Prix on my big wheel, defended the moon against the aliens. I discovered America and drank Kool-Aid with Jesus. Y'all got me to thank for being alive because I saved this human race every afternoon. I fought the Decepticons, Joker and Penguin, I kicked their asses. But now, now it is Tuesday night and the sun is setting. Cameron is waving his arms in these big, wild circles, turning the sharks into dolphins, swimming backstroke through tall blades of grass. And what am I doing? All I ever do is work, hit the bar when I'm done, watch the news when I can find the time. And I wonder when I lost it. When did I finally sell my soul to this reality? I'm checking for my keys and my driver's license again, getting ready for work. They've got me on the midnight shift tonight. Yeah. This one goes out to all the nerds in the house. Om. Nerd. Because I am that nerd, I am that nerd, I am that eternal nerd of spoken word. I am that nerd. What can I say? I spent all my rent money buying action figures on eBay. I didn't come here to chit-chat. I came here to role-play. I will smite thee with my 12-sided die. You better watch out, because I'm coming at you with my nerd eye. I'm rocking you like Getty Lee. I would talk to more girls if they didn't make me want to pee. 
myself. I'm a magical elf. You better keep your hands off my Star Wars shelf. That's right, bitch. That's an MIP Jawa with its plastic cape. Don't that flip your switch just like the switch that Han Solo flicked on Boba Fett that caused him to fall into the saw leg pit lest we forget. Because I'm keeping it real with two E's, you see? I'm coming at you in 3D because I am the master of all that I view because I'm so much smarter and nerdier than you. I had Stephen gawking, hawking, and gawking, and hawking, and gawking, and gasping for air. I blew his mind with my knowledge and he fell straight out his chair. I beat Matthew Broderick at war games with my Atari. I dug up Einstein's bones and made them say I'm sorry for all that weak ass theory of relativity because MC squared equals me, see? Cause I'm the plastic baby Jesus in your mind's nativity. I'll deprogram your mind. With my Commodore 64, I'm so rich in nerd power, I make Bill Gates feel poor. I will kidnap George Lucas from Skywalker Ranch and lock him in my basement until he removes Jar Jar Binks from every frame of Phantom Menace. And replaces him with me, for I am an ancient Jedi Knight. Only Yoda be older. I knocked Mork's space egg out of orbit and made it crash land in Boulder. I am the one who gave Darth Vader asthma. I liquefied Alpha and E.T. and drank of their plasma. Only I can unravel the mystery of the Sith. Because I just knocked over the black monolith with my boner. <laughs> Bet you didn't see that one coming. Because I'm like a mystical nerd shaman that never keeps drumming, stops drumming on your stupid, stupid minds. For I'm the original Star Trek, and you are Deep Space Nine. Because I'm like <laughs> spinning webs around your head like Spidey on acid, because this nerd rocket has taken off, and your shit be flaccid. Thank you. This is the religious part of the program, as you probably could tell. This is called <clears throat> Seven Joints About Jesus. I love Jesus. I love the human Jesus. The other one, the divine son, the resurrected eternal God who can never suffer or change or choose or lose ever again. Who gives a rat's ass about him? I love the human Jesus, angry, exasperated, overjoyed, on the road, looking for answers and adventure, healing what he could, hating what he couldn't, eating bread, drinking wine, hanging out with his friends, doing time with the boozers and the hookers and the con men, and the agitated and the uncool, raising some hell off and on with the rich and the virtuous and the Roman, posing riddles, telling stories, playing his hunches, betting the long shot, taking the big risk, making it all up as he went along. Listen, when the last bad deal goes down, don't blink more than your death. They want you to break. Fuck them. Tell them you're the king so you can die like a man. Of course what they did to you was intolerable. Of course it should never have happened. And yeah, if you let them, they'll do it some more to somebody else. Forgiveness, it's unforgivable. It's unforgivable, but resentment is fatal and boring. And revenge like heroin is not only passe, but impossible to get your fill of. It's ridiculous, isn't it? The gods do not exist, but even if they did, only human beings can forgive. The bass note vi vibration of the rush hour traffic, the slapping of the windshield wipers, the big trucks blowing past me like the end of the world, I am dying. 
The play, however, is forever, forever and always about escape and capture, condemnation and transformation, always about dreams and the names we give them, always about the sentences and periods and silence. Jesus stands at the bottom of the entrance ramp holding a handmade sign, Amarillo, please. I drive past. I try not to make eye contact. I don't pick up hitchhikers anymore. I am not the man I wish I was. When Jesus finally got his driver's license, the first time he had the car at night alone, he drove out Rip Rap Road to the gravel pit. He wanted to sit and think. He drank a quart of Pabst. He smoked a half pack of Viceroy's. He saw three falling stars. He listened for the secret messages he heard nothing. He went back home. He was eight minutes late. His old man gave him the look, but not the lecture. His room was like a cave, the moonlight, the blade of a sword on his pillow. He smiled. He couldn't help it. He fit inside these shadows. He felt the crazy violence, the perfect rhythm of his pulse. He smiled. He couldn't help it. Somewhere inside my cells, exiled and silenced like Pasternak, hiding but holding out like Joe Hill, somewhere in there, there must be a man, a man who can live and die and disappear, a man for whom the earth is enough. Jesus can't fight his way out of a paper bag. Jesus leaves the lights on in the basement all the time. Jesus drowned in the sea of love centuries ago. Jesus can't stop smoking. Jesus knows the idea of free will is absurd, but he believes in it anyway. Jesus once played bass for Bessie Smith. Jesus makes a mean bowl of chili. He doesn't have to, but Jesus prefers to live in sleeping rooms. Jesus hates the designated hitter rule. Jesus can't understand Hegel either. There is no hell. There is no hell, but if there was, Jesus would send every last Aryan nation, Ku Klux Klansman, Nazi scumbag motherfucker straight into its 999th circle and feel fucking great about it. Jesus is not who he seems to be. Jesus once made me a tape of his favorite songs. Here is Jesus' hit list. Cypress Avenue, Van Morrison. What a little moonlight can do, Billie Holiday. Visions of Johanna, Bob Dylan, every time we say goodbye, Ella Fitzgerald, too much monkey business, Chuck Berry, Basin Street Blues, Louis Armstrong, sweet thing, Chaka Khan. <laughs> Preaching Blues, Robert Johnson, Atlantic City, Bruce Springsteen, Rockaway Beach, The Ramones, Naima, John Coltrane, Heat Wave, Martha and the Vandellas, Surfing Bird, The Trash Men, Rocksteady, Aretha, why can't he be you, Patsy Cline? Born to be together, the Ronettes. He stopped loving her today, George Jones. Little Red Corvette, Prince and Thank you for letting me be myself again. Sly and the Family Stone, do I have to say it out loud? Do I have to say it out loud? It was the greatest tape anybody's ever made for me. I love Jesus. I love the human Jesus. When I see him on the street, we always stop and talk. He doesn't kick if sometimes I hog the conversation. He knows I've got a lot on my mind. He knows who I am. He knows all about the ego, insecurity, the look at me, look at me, look at me, and I important shit. He knows, and he lets me go on and on and on and on and on. But once in a while, he does put me in check. He brings me up short. Hey, he says, why don't you just shut the fuck up? Just shut the fuck up and listen one time, will you? When I do, all he ever does is look me in the eye and laugh. That's it. He just looks me in the eye and laughs. It's some kind of zen thing, I guess. And then he usually says something like, I keep trying to figure out just how I wound up with an asshole like you for a best friend. Just lucky, I guess. No, no, I wasn't lucky, he says. I think I must have chosen you. I don't have a clue as to why, but... But I'm almost certain that that's what I did. Well, I say, you're the son of God. You must know best. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what they say. Hey, listen, you got a cigarette? Oh, come on, Jesus, you know I quit. Oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I forgot. Well, hey, listen, I got to go. I got to go work some miracles. You know, Savior's work is never done and all that. But, but, but Sunday, come on over. Come on over Sunday. I, I got the DVD of Buena Vista Social Club. It's a really cool movie. It's great. Let's, let's watch it together. And uh, Okay, sure, great. I'll be there. And then he disappears like everything else into the traffic. And I can't remember in this story if the world ever really changes. I don't think it does. Friendship isn't enough to even things up, to stop the grinding of the poor, the slaughter of the innocents. It isn't enough, but it, it is, but it isn't. It isn't enough. But I still love Jesus, and I'm pretty sure that he loves me. And neither of us can help ourselves. We both still love and hate and love the world just the way it is. Let me tell you something. When you wake up in the morning, take a shower, get dressed, go to work, and the first thing you do is turn on your computer screen and stare at pictures of two hot, hard guys doing each other in the mouth and butt, you are either on the road to getting fired or you are me. Let me tell you something. When the cute guy from tech comes down to audit your computer for illegal hardware and finds three fisting videos, a beginner's guide to BDSM, the complete trailer for the film Ejacula, and the strip poker game featuring a character named Sally Three Tits, and all he can say is, hey, everything seems to be in order, then honey, you can be safe in the assumption that you are the resident badass. That's right. <laughs> this shit does not happen in New York City! There's a motherfucking train right there! Okay, mental note, do not drink any more of the Kraft Brow beer. Experiencing a delusion. That's right. This is so distracting. <laughs> the train conductor's like, fuck you, New York poet. <laughs> That's right. I'm my internet company's dirty little secret. I'm the porn girl. The only one on the floor. The only one in the building. The only one getting paid cash money to write copy like panting for panties. Let us get you to the brink with photos of ladies wearing nothing but wet cotton. You all don't understand how impressive that is, man, until you write for porn and you realize like nine months into it, you just want to write like wet slut slut post. <laughs> Cunt hole eager beaver post. <laughs> gay gay dicky dicky post. <laughs> I 
get people to the brink all day long and I don't even have to be in the same country as them. I'm the new millennial badass. Call me up at two in the afternoon and I'll tell you the URL where you can watch Tanya Harding fuck for free. Break up with your boyfriend and I will have him insert into an all leather daddy gay erotica piece where his name will be the online glory hole flashpoint for so many cock tugging burly bear men that when he finally goes home to the girl he broke up with you to be with, he'll be coming HTML all over her banana republic beige tweet skirt, oh yes! I'm that girl. I'm the troublemaker. Piss me off, and guess whose head's gonna get photoshopped into a threesome with Strom Thurmond and George W. Bush? That's right. I'm so hardcore compared to me, Ron Jeremy's only double X. I'm so hardcore my boss once yelled at me for looking at CNN.com. I'm so hardcore that my computer dictionary now accepts the words wetty, mangina, and buttgasm. A word I created myself. And I am so hardcore that I'm writing poetry during my lunch break. And I am so hardcore I am writing this poem during my lunch break. And I am so hardcore that I wish my lunch break lasted all day because I'd much rather be known as the poet girl than the porn girl. But I'm so hardcore. I live in a country that only spends four cents per citizen on the arts. And I'm so hardcore that when I tried to live off my art and art alone, I had to budget myself five ramen noodles a week just to be able to pay rent, and I am so hardcore. When I tried to find a job, no one, and I mean no one motherfuckers would hire me. And I am so hardcore, I took the first damn job that came along and lucked out with a rock and roll job where I watch naked people do naked things to each other all day long and get a paycheck every two weeks like the perfect cum shot. But I am so hardcore that I don't even care. Because the truth of the matter is I'm being paid not to write my own stuff for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. And if that ain't the definition of the anti-badass, I don't know what is. But don't worry about me, honeys, because I got a plan. And not only that, I got a savings account with a bitchin' interest rate. And as soon as I suck off the porn industry for all the bling-bling that I can till I got $100 bills rolling down the insides of my thighs, then I am kicking porn to the curb, becoming the real new millennial baddest, writing poetry all day, everyday poetry so hardcore that when it finally bursts through that hot white wall of academia, all of my readers are going to come in unison and only an iambic pentameter.